You're listening to The Bookstack with Annie, Nia, and Sydney. Hi, friends. Welcome to the 21st chapter of The Bookstack. I'm Nia. I'm Annie. And I'm Sydney. It's so nice to be back. Uh, as our longtime friends know, we start a new season talking about the favorite books from our end of season author. We had a great time interviewing Charlie N. Holmberg. And if you have not listened to that one yet, maybe pause this and uh, go back and listen to that chapter first. You don't have to. But it was such a fun interview. It's definitely worth a listen. And it sets up what we're doing today very nicely. Uh, We tried something new this time. We asked Charlie to assign us each one of her favorites. And then we also picked a book that was popular in 1988 in honor of Charlie. So Annie, what is in your stack today? So I'm going to start with the book that she assigned to me. And the title is The Bird and the Sword by Amy Harmon. It was published in 2016. And it's book one of a duology which is a series that has two books in it. Book one came out in 2016 and book two came out in 2017. When she gave us her top three books, I looked at them and thought, those are fantasy. I can do this. Fantasy is not my thing. (laughs) And that's okay. I can do this. I can do this. It'll be fine. And I kind of went into it thinking, I already know what this is going to be about. It's going to be about something having to do with a bird and something having to do with a sword and they're going to come together and make other things happen and the cover (laughs) yeah but I picked it up and I thought you know our interview with Charlie was so good I'm going to just trust in her and remind myself that I can do it and as I was writing up and coming up with what I was going to say today I looked on Goodreads and this book received over four stars oh wow Yeah. And I don't normally look up what the reviews are before I read a book. I just think it looks pretty and I read it. And yeah, I I just go with it. But I actually really like this book. It's been really, really fun to read. I have not finished it yet. I'm about halfway through and I'm really excited to keep going. I'll probably finish it this week, hopefully by Tuesday. We'll see. But once I get going in the, in the bird and the sword, it's really hard to put down. It's really, really good. That's good. I'm pretty sure it's young adult. I would put it in young adult. I can't remember if she told us whether it was young adult or not, but that's where I would put it. So quick synopsis of the book. It's a feudal system with magic. There are four types of gifted people that the former king was trying to rid his kingdom of. And there's an outside force coming in to take over the kingdom. So again, the classic fantasy tropes. Our kingdom is trying to get taken over maybe from the inside, maybe from the outside. There's also this group of people that is upsetting the status quo. So the book opens with the main character. Her name is Lark. Her mom dies. She gets killed because she is a gifted person who can say words and that can enchant or compel inanimate or animate objects to do things. She's what's called a teller. And the king finds out and he kills her in front of her daughter Lark. And as her mom is dying, she leans over her daughter and basically curses her and blesses her at the same time, depending on how you look at it, to not use her words, to keep her words locked inside of her and not to use them until the time is right. Right. Which is a blessing and a curse. Right. Like it could save her, but also it could cost her everything if she can't. Yes. If she can't, if she can't fix something. Yeah. So that makes her become a mute. As she gets older, she's a mute. And that's on the first couple of pages. And then we flash forward to the time of the story when Lark is 21. 
Okay. And she's a mute. And she runs around with a troll. Like you do. Like you do. And his name is Bujani. And he's like a legit troll with the beard and four feet tall. And he's got a smashed nose, the whole thing. And he is in charge of keeping her safe because of some other things that her mom had said. And then Lark gets kidnapped. Like you do. Like you do. By the new king, who's the old king's son. It's not like she can call out for help. She can't. Well, okay. So the new (laughs) king goes up to her dad and says, I'm taking your daughter because you didn't send the people that you said you were going to send to take care of the kingdom and help with this war. So I'm going to take her back to my castle until you send your people. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So she ends up being like Belle and the Beast and just hangs out in the castle. Walking around reading books. But as a mute. Talking to stuff in her head. In her head. But not really, because she also doesn't know how to read or write. And that's one thing that I really, really liked about this book. It's her journey through language acquisition. Her dad was afraid to teach her how to read or write because he knew that she was a teller and could use her words to make people do things that they wouldn't normally do and that it was a danger. And so she never learned how to read or write. And while she's in, while she's in the castle, the prince, or sorry, the king, he's the king at this point, comes up to her and, you know, she helps him with something. And he says, what can I help you with? And she points to a book and he says, you want to read this here, read it. And she's like, no, you know, she shakes her head. No, I can't, I can't. And he says, oh, okay, well, let's get you a pen and paper. And she mimes, you know, that she can't write. And so he helps her write out her name and she starts crying and she gets so excited. And then they start writing words on the walls and on pieces of paper that she can stick to the wall. And I thought that's how you teach children how to read. You label things. Yep. And that's exactly what she does. She labels things. And then he says, well, this is taking too long. So he just grabs the chalk out of her hand and starts writing on the wall. And in her head, she thinks this is ridiculous. He's clearly never cleaned or painted over anything. (laughs) (laughs) He's so entitled that he's just going to write on walls. Let's talk about a role reversal there, you know? Yeah, it was it was interesting. So that I thought that was done really, really well. And just this power that Lark receives through being able to understand language. And she gets really mad at the letter C. Because of how many different sounds it makes. Because of how many different sounds it makes. Makes her really angry. And I thought, yeah, I have that same problem with the English language. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the words Pacific Ocean have C's in it that no C is said the same way as another C's. So frustrating to learn. That would be so frustrating. One of the books that she starts with is The Art of War. (laughs) <laughs> and the king says don't you want to start with something else and she mimes no 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 no, keep going and he's like it's not even fun and so then he brings her easier books to read that'll be more entertaining and as she gathers this language it does start to change her and her power a little bit another thing that's done well is that nothing happens overnight i feel like things are explained very well in this book it takes lark time to learn and grow right. and it takes the king time to see what can be done, if that makes sense. Nothing happens overnight. It's not, oh, you have this magic power that will solve all the problems. Let's do it. They both take, it's a realistic timeline. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So it was really good. I'm looking forward to finishing it. I'm sure I'll pick up the next one. And the cover is beautiful. It's got a picture of a person, the wind flowing through her hair. It's a really good cover. Look it up if you can. Okay. Right on. Then the second 
book that I picked up was The Alchemist because I never read it. Have either of you read The Alchemist? No. Nope. No. Have either of you ever wanted to read The Alchemist? Nope. No. <laughs> really? Why not? Yep. It has no appeal for me at all. Really? Yeah. Sydney? I, every time I look at it, I just have this like, I don't know, internal feeling of walk away. Okay. So I picked it up and I was really worried that one of you would have picked it also. Nope. Nope. Yes. I didn't need to worry about that. And I thought I should probably read another 1988 book just in case. I was you wrong. lucked out. Okay. Did I, <laughs> did I luck out? <laughs> was this I a good choice? There's a reason I haven't read it. Oh no. Oh, maybe it's anyway. good that we haven't read it, Nia. Yeah. Well, this will tell you all you need to know. And then it's up to you, dear friends, if you also want to read The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho. It's up to you. I picked it up because I've heard about this book so many times and I've seen the cover so many times and I've never had a reason to read The Alchemist. And then I did. And so I read it. And how did you all feel? How did that make you feel? Synopsis first. Because people have asked me, oh, what that what's that about? And I can't really answer that, which is a bad thing. Yes. So there's a shepherd boy who has a dream about his personal legend telling him that his treasure will be found at the base of the pyramids. That's it. Then he goes on a journey from Spain to the pyramids to find the treasure and has some adventures. And that's 175 pages. Okay. Took me about three and a half hours. Maybe less than that. And did you enjoy that three and a half hours? I did not. Oh, no. I did not enjoy it. (laughs) I read it. I didn't like it. I couldn't decide if The Alchemist was supposed to be an allegory or not. And that's not a good thing. There's a lot of references to minor parts of Christianity, but not the main one of Christ and the sacrifice. There's just a lot of things thrown in there that are very Christian, but not the big one. So I couldn't decide if it was meant to be an allegory or not. I also couldn't decide if it was supposed to be a self-help book. (laughs) Oh, that's... Those are two very different genres. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Very different things. I didn't know if I was supposed to be reading it and maybe I just missed out on the big lesson. Maybe I was too focused on what it was supposed to be and I missed that I was supposed to be searching for my own personal legend, but also notice the signs. Maybe he didn't know either. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But then I had to remind myself that The Alchemist was originally published in Portuguese from Brazil. And so okay. I really had to focus on the sentence structures and how they're different and how plot speed is different in different tongues and the word choice. And maybe that's how Portuguese and Brazilian books are written. I had that same force myself to like stop and think about it with the Witcher book. Yeah. Because those were written originally in Polish. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That does make sense though. I didn't know that. It's very different. It's it's very, very different. And it's, it's harder to get through because yeah you're expecting something that you're not really like you're like this is the slowest build I've ever had in my life what is happening um I think part of it's cultural Americans are used to doing things fast right for me it wasn't necessarily that it was fast or slow I just found myself missing a lot of information Hmm. so for example he ends up traveling across the Sahara and that only took maybe 20 pages and I thought that 
there should be more happening in the Sahara than 20 pages. Well, as you go, there's some mounds of sand and oh, look, there's more mounds of sand and hey, the wind <laughs> is blowing and it's moving some sand. But the things that like happened how- to him in the Sahara, there should have been more detail. But then I had to remind myself that this was written in a different language where maybe culturally the details aren't as important as the big picture. Possible. Yeah, I don't know. That being said, I do not need to read The Alchemist ever again. No. Don't really know why it's called The Alchemist. Oh. <laughs> which is a big deal for me because I always try to figure out why the title is in there. Yeah, the title should pertain to the plot. Yeah, I would not have titled it The Alchemist, but again, I'm not from Brazil. I don't speak Portuguese. Maybe there's something I missed there. But it was cool that I read the 25th anniversary of the book. Well, I mean, that's something. Because 1988 Friends was 35 years ago. How did that happen? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know, but it did. So those are the two books that I I read. Nia, what did you read? So I'll start with the one that Charlie gave me. And she gave me Howl's Moving Castle by Diana Wynne-Jones. It is a YA book. So it's a kid's YA book. It's kind of on that cusp. You can work with maybe eight or nine up would be my my guesstimation. But it works for kids of all ages because it's really, really beautifully told. It is a book in a trilogy, although from what I can see from looking at the descriptions of the other two, they're set in the same world, but they're different characters. Are so, the characters brought up in Howl's Moving Castle or are they completely different characters? No, it looks like they're completely different. And that's just from reading Interesting. The, the book jackets. So okay. I couldn't put it down when I started reading it. It was such such an amazing read. And when I say I couldn't put it down, I mean, I started it in the morning and was done with it by the afternoon. Wow. And you have a lot of distractions. Mm-hmm. So I was I was able to get a little bit of time to go and pull up and read. And that was really nice. But I, I powered through it pretty much in one sitting. It was really, really good. So the story follows Sophie, the eldest child of three sisters, who if you follow the folklore, you know if she leaves to seek her own fate she is doomed to fail that's just what happens to the elder sister there's you know the middle sister will be able to find some kind of fortune and do whatever she needs to do there and the youngest sister will you know find true love and there's just all of these tropes that she's fully aware of and it's just like I'm the eldest sister. I'm kind of SOL. So might as well should just stay home, (laughs) Uh, which doesn't work out so well for her because despite just staying home and helping in the family hat shop, she still manages to earn the ire of the witches of the wastes and ends up cursed. And her curse is being aged from late teens all the way up to being an 80 year old woman. And it's not just a visual curse. Like her whole body is aged. Oh, so man. Yep. And she, she lost all of her mobility, didn't she? A lot of it. And she part of the curse is she cannot tell people she is cursed. So she's like, well, what have I got to lose? And leaves and goes, well, maybe I will find Wizard Howl and maybe he can see what's going on and maybe help me. Or he's really terrible and it won't matter. I mean, what have I got to lose? <laughs> I like her. <laughs> oh, she's fabulous. So shenanigans ensue because you have to have a plot. Otherwise there's you know that's what the shenanigans are for (laughs) there are making deals with fire demons and her sisters keep cropping up creating all sorts of trouble and chaos around her and you learn that family is more complicated it's just very whimsical and very warm and i kept waiting for the other shoe to drop because i probably read way too much true crime or horror or dark (laughs) fantasy (laughs) i'm going it can't be like this what a horrible thing is gonna happen and i mean it's a very well done plot and it was just when i got to the end it's like oh this is what a like a 
full light story is with a beautiful happy ending and i i've said this before i'm a sucker for a happy ending you are Aww. a sucker so, for a happy ending yeah that sounds so, so nice i really enjoyed it it was really really nice so highly recommend it for all ages might be maybe not for the little littles but i'm sure most people know it was adapted by uh Hi- Hayao Miyazaki and I know I'm gonna have people get mad at me for mispronouncing it and I apologize I hear it correctly in my head my mouth doesn't want to do it it was turned into a film in 2004 very popular film I meant to watch it I have not had a chance to I had a chance to sit and read the book apparently I haven't had a chance to sit down and watch it <laughs> an hour and a half all movie. day to read the book but no uh-huh. time to watch the movie well, my time went to reading the book, so I haven't had a chance to watch the <laughs> film, but it looks really cute. It's had a ton of reviews. I know a lot of people have probably already watched it, so I can't compare it to how it is with the book, which is the other reason I'm also, I think, maybe a little hesitant. Like, I really enjoyed the book. I hope the, the movie is just as good, but it's so acclaimed and it looks beautiful. So at some point I will have to do that. And then I, I have a question. They're the same. Yes. So the anime film mm-hmm. is Japanese. Yes. Yes. So is the book also Japanese folklore? No, I don't think so. Okay, so then what does the so I don't know folklore if, does the book follow? Like what cultural? Uh it's trope. it feels Western to me. Really? It almost feels like a steampunk Baba Yaga sort of. Interesting. Uh-huh. That's kind of how it feels to me. Okay. The movie is very anime. Yes, the style oh, the is huh, the style. Sure. The style yeah. is absolutely anime. So I just assumed that the book was also. No, but it's a very beautiful, vivid world. And he had a lot of imagery to work with. Yeah. And a lot of very vibrant characters to work with. So I'm not surprised that he picked that one up to turn into a film. That's very cool. I'm a big fan of his. Like Spirited Away is probably one of my favorite movies. And so is Princess Mononoke. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't surprise me that he went, I can. I can do that. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. That makes me want to read it a little bit more. I mean, I already wanted to read the book, but now I really mm-hmm. want to and then watch the movie and kind of compare them. So usually I can give you an opinion of how the audiobook is. I actually read this one. I didn't listen oh. to it. So Were there illustrations? Not in the ebook, but there are illustrated copies that I'm sure are beautiful. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, so that was my first one. And then I did a pivot for the one I picked because. <laughs> because that's what you do. Uh, that's what I do. So I went with John Constantine Hellblazer Volume 1, Original Sins. This collection is written by Jamie Delano and John Ridgway, and it came out in 1988. It is a graphic novel. Uh, Is this the same storyline that the Keanu Reeves movie Constantine was based off of? Same character, but I don't know if it's the same. I have the one I got through most of it. I was trying to read it on my phone and that was not working for me. So I got the print of the graphic novel and as I have to watch the film again, too, because I don't remember a lot of the film. I just remember how amazing Keanu Reeves was in it and how it was yeah, a really, really good film. It's one you, of my favorite movies. Yeah. You tried to read a graphic novel on your phone? Yes, which I did learn if you're doing it through Kindle, it will, you can set it up so that you only see one does the frame at a time. It's awesome. Yeah. And that oh, helped a lot. I that. That's super yeah. helpful. I thought you yeah. just had the whole page and you'd have to like zoom in and zoom out oh, and scroll around. I tried that. I tried that. It made my, you? my eyes cross. Yeah. And then I figured hurt. out okay. how to do that. And I went, oh, oh cool. this works much better. And then but I- But you I ended loved... up moving to print anyway? Yeah. 
because I like graphic novels, so I figured why not buy it? It's a character I really enjoy, so yeah. I might as well should should get it. And it's the character from the movie. Yes. With the Keanu movie, Reeves. Yep. The movie okay. is inspired by this. So. Never seen it, but I'm bringing the conversation back. Okay. Yep. So this is the first collection of Hellblazer. It's John Constantine is an occult detective, a little bit of a con man, a little bit of a, of, of a very like potent warlock. He's from Liverpool and he's based in London. So that's like the bare minimum basics. This is kind of Constantine's origin stories. It kind of shows the best and the worst of the guy who thanklessly saves the world, even though it may not be great for the people directly around him. Oh, he's more it like, got to do the greater good. Yeah. It always work out great for the people around him. Every once in a while you're looking going, oh yeah, the hair and the clothing in this is very 80s. Very <laughs> 80s. Um, which I think just adds to it. But every once in a while, it's a little jar and you're going, oh, I haven't seen that since. Ooh, okay. Big poofy <laughs> jackets and very vibrant hair. Like not, I mean, vibrant hair is good now too, but that very distinctive uh, yeah. 80 poof. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. So if you're going to look into it, just know you're going to be greeted by classic 80s when you do. <laughs> um, the character or the person, which I will get to that in just a minute, first appeared in the comic series, comic book series swamp thing in june of 1985 and he's actually a creation of alan moore of the watchman oh alan, alan moore. moore you always come back yep so we talked about the watchman before we did we did mm-hmm. so hellblazer as hellblazer as a series was the longest running title from dc's vertigo branch and it was also their most successful constantine the character has been ranked third in the british magazine empire's 50 greatest comic characters of all time ign ranked him as 29 out of the top 100 comic book heroes so he's very wow. like iconic People might, we were just talking about this, they might be familiar with the movie with Keanu Reeves that came out in 2005. And there was also a short NBC series, 2014, 2015 era that I actually didn't know about. I think I I I saw a preview for it and I went, that's not Keanu. And I ignored it. Yeah. And I think that's probably (laughs) what happened because it only ran one season. I don't know how many episodes, but clearly it only ran one season. So I mentioned the person earlier. Constantine has been written by multiple people over the years, and many of the people who have written about John Constantine have claimed to actually see him in real life, despite him being a fictional character. Okay. Over the years, there have been multiple interviews with different authors, because multiple authors have written his Mm storylines, who say they've seen him in a crowd, complete with his tie and his cigarette. That's not a sign. I actually have some some quotes from a vulture article so this is directly from them so i'm going to quote almost exactly i've edited out the expletives because we don't want to mark (laughs) this as an expletive episode so just as a heads up this is an exact quote except there's the word expletive where there should be something else jamie delano so the one who wrote this particular anthology ran into him during a stroll near the british museum back when he was writing the first few arcs on constantine's solo series hellblazer quote the figure caught my eye and cocked his head flicked the ash from a ciggy and continued without stopping for a few moments i considered following but then thought better of it i mean what the expletive would i say and what trouble might one get into (laughs) yeah so that's fair yep and then you have peter milligan saw constantine at a party around 2009 and rushed after him only to find he disappeared Brian Azzarello saw him at a Chicago bar in the early aughts, but avoided him. Quote, thing is about John is the last thing you'd want to be is his friend. (laughs) As far as I've been able to deduce, Constantine's only ever spoken to one writer, 
the man who created him, Alan Moore. According to Moore, he ran into John years after he'd stopped writing him and the wisecracking mage whispered 13 words to him. Quote, I'll tell you the ultimate secret of magic. Any expletive could do it. And Constantine, if you're listening, I'm sorry. We really just didn't want to tag this as an expletive (laughs) or as a explicit explicit episode so i'm perfectly comfortable with that word you said but i will not use it (laughs) so uh so there you go that is that was my my second pick with a little bit of mystery in there too because gotta have some whimsy in there so sydney what do you have today well let's just take this from where we're at and go in a completely different direction (laughs) Like we do. seem to be going back and forth like a pendulum. Ding, ding, yeah, ding, ding. it's it's going from fantasy to something completely different. Fantasy uh-huh. to something completely different. Are All right, we so Monty let's go Python back to, today. I think we are. <laughs> <laughs> Flesh wound. All right. The first book is the book that Charlie assigned me, which was The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms by N.K. Jemison. It was published in 2010. It is book one in the Inheritance trilogy, and I genuinely genuinely enjoyed this book it was fantastic i ended up really appreciating that i listened to the audiobook we all know that fantasy novels tend to have really hard to pronounce names they do mm-hmm. mine had at the beginning a pronunciation uh, guide yeah and so i really i really appreciated having the audiobook say the names for me because then when i looked at it later i was like oh yeah. that's how you spelled that huh that would be <laughs> helpful Yeah. So I loved the book. I loved listening to it. There are two other books in the series, but like Nia's, they don't follow the same main character. And I really liked how the book ended. So I have no intention of reading the other two books. Really? That's how I felt about Howl's. Is it you you reach the end, a nice little package and you're done. Yeah, I guess if it doesn't follow the same character. It picks up with the main character being the antagonist from the first book. Oh, okay. And he's... he's the main character of the next book and i she did such a good job of writing him where i hated him so badly that i'm like i don't want to see you save yourself like i don't like you enough that i want to see what happens to you like i kind of want to just believe that you're suffering forever and move on okay so that's cool this book the hundred thousand kingdoms the narrator is yena dar and at parts of it you can tell she's relaying the story as if she's remembering back and you don't figure out until the very end who the person talking to her is while she is relaying her memories okay and so it's kind of fun that you have this back and forth but you're like but it's in your head what's happening and you find out about halfway through who that person is so that's really fun but she's she's grown up in this barbarian area of the north of her of the continent and her mother dies under very suspicious circumstances and she immediately gets summoned to her grandfather's who is the king of the entire continent and you're like why was she in the barbarian north if her grandfather is the emperor and so you you have all of this political intrigue and stuff that's going on and her mother ran away from him but why did she leave and what's going on and how you're going to solve everything like there's a lot of political intrigue and stuff that builds there's also this really fun mystical religion that's intertwined with the magic system that's built into the political intrigue okay so you have gods that are and i do say gods because it's plural and they are forcibly trapped in this castle and they are forced to serve the reigning family but they're gods are they forcibly living in the castle with the reigning family yes okay interesting Um, 
they live in like the spaces in between rooms and stuff like it's it's really well written. It's really clever. It's really creative. And Kay Jemison did a fantastic job of building in this world where you're just like, oh, okay. Ooh, tell me more about that. Oh, I want to know more. Like she just did a really good job of building everything up. But she shows up to the castle after her mom dies and is named one of the potential heirs to the kingdom which shocks everyone because her cousin's brother and sister were already named the potential heirs and then you come Uh-oh. to find out that one of the heirs has to be a sacrifice and so now oh. she's like well you know am i actually an heir or am i a sacrifice and there's this like i said it's all of this whole big political intrigue and it's really well built and it's really fun and the setting itself is really clever, creative. It has a lot of twists as a setting in addition to the the plot and the the build as a whole. And it sounds complicated. It's it, it sounds really neat though. Yeah, but it's, it sounds really neat. And if it's written well, it's well sure written it to the point where it's not complicated. Yeah. It's just it's complicated trying to explain it without giving away spoilers. Oh, gotcha. uh, got it. That's that's what I'm trying to not do is give any kind of spoilers. So that's it sounds why it's really good, hard, and I want to read it, but I, I'm sure honestly it's it was to explain. It was really fun. I would absolutely recommend it to anyone. It was one of those that you're just like, oh man, this was such a good book. What age group would you recommend this for, or not recommend it for? There is a little bit of spice. Okay, so probably. Like, I mean, it depends on age appropriateness for your maturity level and stuff. Like, I don't want to mm-hmm. just give like a, a 16 and up rating just. Right, right. But older. You know, because some, you know, but but not like I wouldn't give it to a 12 year old just because there mm-hmm. is some spice. And, and I don't and it's not maybe that they're not ready to handle it. I just want to answer questions like it's at least, more because I don't want to do it. Maybe yeah. PG-13 minimum, okay. but it, yeah, yeah. it varies. Mileage yeah. may vary. Yeah, yeah. But you just have Yena trying to find a way to save herself and be with the god Nahados who she's fallen in love with but it's oh no an impossibility to be with him because he's a god and being with Mm -hmm. him would kill her and Mm -hmm. you just have all of these things kind of building up to a climax where you get to the end and you're like wait what oh shoot it's just one of those that it just builds really well Hmm. so i didn't do a great job explaining it because i'm trying very hard not to give spoilers but it was you're making sounds amazing though yeah you're making it sound very good and very intriguing it was so fun it was such a fun book and i finished it and i text charlie immediately and said i can see why you love this book it was amazing like it was such a fun book i feel like we all feel that way about the ones that she chose for us yeah, yeah. i think she just did a really sure. good job of picking yeah books she really did it's like she's an author that knows books or something <laughs> <laughs> well and it's kind of interesting too hearing about all these different ones and going some of the the magical systems and hearing about this sounds like it could have inspired the books right. that she wrote yeah which is so neat yeah i thought so too i loved it but now we're gonna pendulum swing <laughs> Like Here we do. go. Like Whee! we do. <laughs> the book that I picked from 1988 to celebrate Charlie's birth year was The Power of Myth by Joseph Campbell. And I literally picked it based on title alone. Uh-oh. And I picked it because it was in the top 10 bestsellers. Like it was, a, it was a really big deal in 1988. I did the same thing. How did that turn out for you? A lot better than it did for you. <laughs> I'm glad. So um, 
This book is actually edited and compiled based on six interviews that were done with Joseph Campbell at Skywalker Ranch. He ended up becoming really good friends with George Lucas because Lucas credited Campbell with inspiring some of his ideas for Star Wars. Oh, okay. okay. I have so many questions, but I'm just going to talk. I, <laughs> is, this getting, a, is this a Star Wars book or did he just no, interview No, no, no. He just interviewed there. The, the interviews just took place at Skywalker Ranch. That's odd. Okay. This this entire thing is nonfiction. Right. His all of his work is nonfiction. And he would actually is like his writing is considered seminal for his field. Hmm. So the audiobook is just the audio of the interviews without the editor's insertions or explanations. So if you decide you want to listen to him instead of reading the book, just go to YouTube and watch the six interviews that were recorded from ABC. Like So the audiobook <laughs> And the print book are completely different. Well, they're not completely different. The, but the book it's... was the book was written. Um, it was uh, the editor was compiling the interviews and kind of like putting everything together them. to make it. Yeah, transcribing them, just making everything kind of flow and, and fit. And he passed away in 1987, and then the book was published in 1988. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So. Okay. So she had to, as she was finishing, she had to kind of make some decisions. Oh. That to try to explain ideas that he had started explaining but didn't like fully flesh out or things like that. Okay. So it wasn't it wasn't I'll like it was completely it. different, but it, there were insertions okay. or or explanations that were added on. But if it were me, <laughs> and I if were, were you to this podcast a month going, ago, you would have done this. <laughs> if it were me it they are six one hour interviews that are on youtube that you can just watch for free so instead of trying to find it at the library or buying it i would just watch it on youtube or just play it on youtube so you can listen to it while you do something else if you watch them on youtube do you actually get to see yep joseph campbell yeah and the interviewee you actually get to watch them during the yep. interview Oh, that's cool. And, so it's not just the audio. And as he makes references to things, they actually edited in examples from films, especially Star Wars. Oh, that's cool. And so they have like, and he'll helpful. explain something and then they show a scene from Star Wars to like explain it. Uh -huh. So, okay. and you can hear it in the audiobook. Mm -hmm. And if you've seen the movies, like you, you hear it, you know exactly what's happening. Yeah. But you can if watch it on YouTube for free. Yeah. If you're a visual okay. person, it sounds like the, the actual video might be better. Uh-huh. 100%. Okay. Right on. Except you but, know, unless you're driving or something, then don't do that. Yeah, don't do yeah, that. Yeah, don't do that. But <laughs> Word of advice. <laughs> Pro tip, don't watch YouTube while you're driving. We're so oh. helpful. You're so welcome. <laughs> Life tips. All right. The Power of Myth launched an extraordinary resurgence in the interest of Joseph Campbell and his work. He was a preeminent scholar, writer, teacher. He had a profound influence on millions of people. And to him, mythology was the song of the universe, the music of spheres, to quote him. He's been interviewed with Bill Moyers, who was at the time one of America's most prominent journalists. And he was a really thoughtful and engaged interviewer. So you have really poignant questions that continues to drive questions deeper and, and kind of really dig into the heart of things without ever feeling like he's attacking what's being said. So it was just, it was just really fascinating to hear these interviews, but the power of myth touches on subjects from modern marriage to virgin births from Jesus to John Lennon, 
offering a brilliant combination of intelligence and wit, from stories of the gods and goddesses of ancient Greece and Rome to traditions of Buddhism, Hinduism, and Christianity. A broad array of themes are considered that together identify the universality of human experience across time and culture. So this is six interviews. Yes, there is a six-part interview. And how long were the interviews? An hour. Well, they were edited to be an hour because they were they were aired on TV. Much longer. Yeah. So who did he interview? He's the one being interviewed. Joseph Campbell is the one being interviewed by Bill oh, Moyers. He's... Bill Moyers is the journalist interviewing Joseph Campbell, Six who times? is the scholar. Yes. In the six part interview. Oh, I thought that Joseph Campbell was the one interviewing six different people. No. Hopefully he is there's the... someone else like me that was confused and I didn't just show my cards. <laughs> okay. All good. All good. Thank you. I'm good now. He is a, a seminal back force now, in the field of, of mythology and comparative religion. Got it. And okay. so he breaks down mythology and comparative religion and the ideas that each of the creation myths across cultures have in common. Man, I'm going to have to watch these on YouTube. Not when I'm driving. Not when you're driving. <laughs> Not when you're driving. That is so neat. That sounds really fascinating. It is. It honestly was so, so good. And here's my favorite tidbit that I'm excited to share with you guys. Okay. Knowing how prolific his thoughts were, because he's referencing all religions as mythology, and he's going into all of the universality of how these myths transcend and share ideas. Wait, wait, wait. The he is Joseph Campbell, right? The he is Joseph Campbell. Okay, thanks. Okay. So he had all of these prolific thoughts, and he was so ahead of his time that this man in 19... 87 is when it was the videos were recorded it shocks me that you hear this older white man speaking in 1987 about mythologies of all of these different religions and you find out he was born in 1904 oh wow like i just <laughs> i it was he was so incredibly forward-thinking especially for his time yeah sure i mean he was a professor of comparative mythology and comparative religion at sarah lawrence college which just makes me love him even more that he was like yeah i want to go teach women at a women's uh-huh. college like uh-huh. This is important. Like in that I time just, frame, especially. Like, yes. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Like, I just am so impressed by this man that I just keep looking up more things that he's written and more things that he's been interviewed for and done because he just fascinates and impresses me. But anyway, yeah, I'm going to so, have to watch those. You've opened my eyes. I would love for you to at least watch the first one and then tell me your thoughts. Okay. Same goes yeah. to anyone else. If you watch yeah. it, please give us your let's thoughts. Have a discussion. Yeah. yeah, I would love that. Right on. Yeah. So now it's time for our new triviality segment. I have a couple of trivia questions for you and we'll see how we do with them. Winner gets bragging rights and the satisfaction of knowing random trivia. Are you guys ready? There are so Sorry. many ways that this can go. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know what the topic is. So I stuck with our author. Oh, okay. okay. So see, I would have um, gone with 1988 facts. That would have been a fun one too. Again, so many, so many ways you can go. So wait, just, just is is Sydney gonna have a hand up because she because <laughs> she knows things like I don't know maybe her phone number. Hmm. okay. <laughs> <laughs> so just to recap where everybody is, Annie, the end of our last season, you had ten points, I had nine points, and Sydney was ahead at fourteen points. Wow, okay. good job, Sydney. So. Thank you. Someday we'll have to come up with a prize. I'm good bragging rights. Bragging rights is bragging (laughs) rights. Okay, so let's get trivial. You'll each get two. You get two points if you can call out the answer without needing any options. 
but if I list the multiple choices, the winner will still get at least one point. All right, here we go. First question. What did Charlie say she did with all of the rejection letters she received before the paper magician was published? Put them in she a, put him in a blanket. She made them into a blanket. Uh-huh. Did she actually do that? Yeah, I've seen it. I've held it. I've touched it. I played with it. <laughs> How did she do that? That's amazing. She screen printed. Oh, got it. Yeah. That is, so she can that is fantastic. write under the words of people who didn't believe in her. Cool. Yeah, she uh, she wanted all of the rejection letters to keep her warm at night. So <laughs> when I had when she when she came to talk to one of my classes a few years ago, she brought the blanket for the kids to see. Awesome. Yeah. That is spectacular. That is oh, I love that. <gasps> So two points to Sydney. All right. Uh, in addition to writing fantasy, Charlie also writes romance. Yeah, she does. What, what name <laughs> do her romance novels appear under? Can we go back in our notes or is that cheating? No, I don't think we, we wrote no. notes. I don't know. Doesn't she, does she do it under C.N. Holmberg? Mm-hmm. I thought it was C.N. Holmberg. Yeah. That's very similar to her. Because her her yeah. fantasy books are all Charlie and Holmberg. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I had fun coming up with uh, <laughs> the multiple choice for that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, I think we need to hear that now. Go ahead, share so, them. Yes. So my choices were that the three incorrect ones were Charlie Hart, Holmberg, <laughs> Charlie Steele. With oh, e. oh okay. like Danielle yep, Steele. Yep. Yep. And Verity Holmberg. Oh, okay. Mm, good job. So, you should be proud of those. Thank you. I was. So, all right. Two more for Sydney. I guess Sydney does definitely have an edge on this one. Sorry, Annie. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I still have, I'm just imagining sleeping under all of your rejection all letters. All of my rejection letters. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, something good had to come out of them, right? It's, you know, yeah. it's wonderful. She only, she only did it with the ones that were not form letters so it's all of the ones that were actually like written specifically like you right. know dear so-and-so instead of just thank you but we're not interested yeah yeah right that's on. so cool yeah okay third question uh how many languages no <laughs> <laughs> i should have i really should have pulled some 1988 ones there sorry annie it's okay how many languages is charlie published in oh 19 uh 24 1973 7 40 100 and 6 <laughs> would you like me to give we the like options? the pendulum swing we either <laughs> just want to keep throwing numbers out there <laughs> we're just gonna keep yelling random numbers because we obviously don't know we have no idea <laughs> okay here are the choices okay is it 11, 20, 30, or 42? 11. 30. Because I already Neither said 20. 42. 42. 20. Okay. Well, uh, Sydney, you are now at 18. Woot woot. And Annie, you were at 12. Woot woot. 12 so, points. Woohoo. Trivialities. Well, nice to be back with that too. I love this. Yeah. That's one of my favorite parts of the show. Me too. And you're right. Coming up with the answers, you know, I don't know if our listeners know this, but sometimes we have to come up with our own answers and it is very fun to come up with answers to throw you guys off. Yeah. And it's hard to resist the urge to be like, how snarky can I get without it? I know. (laughs) I know. It's almost as fun to come up with the questions and answers as it is to actually play. I think that's what 42 was life. The, or the, or the answer to the question of life, life, universe, everything. everything. It's 42. So it's like, well, I have to put 42 in there. You have to. Anytime you have the option to include a number, you have to include 42. 
Mm-hmm. It's true. All right. So what are we reading right now or picking up next? Annie, what about you? Because I said I would, and I want to, I will be finishing oh. the bird and the sword this week. And then I'm also, I say finishing, but really I'm only 20 pages in finishing the lost apothecary this week also. Oh, that's such a good one. I got it for Christmas. It's so I, that, I don't know how you put it. It's so like, oh, I put it that, down like... because I forgot that I had these other books to read. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like it though. It's very good. I really, I want to, I really now want to go to England and do some, what did they call it? Mud something. Oh, and go through the mud mud. and find fun things. That just sounds like a grand adventure. Mm -hmm. That would be really fun, except for having to touch mud. Oh, I'd be cool with it. That's that's what gloves are for. Yep. I'm clean. I'll never be clean again. I don't (laughs) camp because I refuse to wake up dirty, but I'd be cool going through the mud if I can go home and shower afterward. Fine. Nia, what are you reading or finishing or picking up? I recently started Remarkably Bright Creatures by Shelby Van Pelt. I joined a book club out here. (laughs) So we're hoping I finish this before we meet. I have faith in you. I'm interested to hear how you feel about it because a friend of mine read it and she didn't love it. Is this fiction, nonfiction? It's fiction. I'll read the the dust jacket for you guys. So it's the, the lead into it says for fans of a man called Ove, a charming, witty and compulsively readable exploration of friendship, reckoning and hope that traces a widow's unlike connection with a giant Pacific octopus. So and then okay. here's the actual like plot. Sure. After Tova Sullivan's husband died, she began working the night shift at the Seoul Bay Aquarium mopping floors and tidying up. Keeping busy has always helped her cope, which she's been doing since her 18-year-old son, Eric, mysteriously vanished in a boat in Puget Sound over 30 years ago. Tova I knew a- this was going to be Washington. I knew it. It's a Pacific, it's a, yeah. Uh-huh. Like, Puget yeah. Sound, let's go. Mm-hmm. Tova becomes acquainted with the curmudgeony Marcellus, a giant Pacific octopus living at the bottom of the aquarium. Which, side note, I'm listening to this on audio, and the intro before you start learning about Toba is from uh Marcellus's perspective and it's a different narrator That's and awesome. he is salty <laughs> I think octopus generally are so I mean the one in Finding Dory yeah so it very tend to just, be a little salty me and my snarky characters me and happy endings and snarky characters <laughs> you I guess. love snarky characters so you and do. I didn't pick this book but here we go so uh Uh, Marcellus knows more than anyone can imagine, but wouldn't dream of lifting one of his eight arms for his human captors until he forms a remarkable friendship with Tova. Ever the detective, Marcellus deduces what happened the night Tova's son disappeared. And now Marcellus must use every trick his old invertebrate body can muster to unearth the truth for her before it's too late. So the octopus solved the crime? That's, yeah, I think that's what happens. I'm not that far into it. Well, he'll have to tell us how it goes because I so, want to read that. Sounds yeah, good. it's the intro with Marcellus is he's talking about how many days in captivity he has had and how many more days he has left based on his lifespan of his interminable capture. And oh my that's, gosh, that's how it starts. And then, you know, you find out about Tova. So, so it's kind of like, um, what's that book that's written from the perspective of death? Like, it's just one of those where you just have, like, a, it's a really weird, different narrative that kind of mm-hmm. keeps you on your toes. 
Mm-hmm. The Book Thief? That's the one I was trying to think of. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, I haven't read that one. Oh, that one's good Own too. it. <laughs> haven't read it. So, yeah. So that that is what I'm working on right now. Sydney, what about you? So I got a new puppy and he makes everything hard. <laughs> yeah. But he's so cute. Oh, he's adorable. He is very cute. He's chewing on me right now um, because I am basically a glorified chew toy. Yes. <laughs> but so I am not trying to do anything really deep or heavy right now because he Attention. makes everything concentration is hard yeah so i am reading one of the firefly books it's called what makes us mighty it's by mk england it's based off the characters from the tv show it's supported and had collaboration with joss whedon so there's mm-hmm. consistency within mm-hmm. the world and the narrator in the audiobook kind of sounds like Mal and so it feels like it continues the world okay there's seven books there's an eighth one that's listed as pre-order but I'm trying very hard to go through them slowly what number is this one I think it's three okay Um, it might be two but I just love the world so much that I don't I want to enjoy being able to read it for the first time, knowing that I'll never read it for the first time again. So I'm trying to go through them slowly and savor the moment. And when you only get a few minutes in between when puppy attacks happen, (laughs) it makes it really easy to just listen to a chapter and then move into the next part of your day. So that is what I am reading right now. Right on. Well, friends, thanks for listening to this chapter of the book stack. As we sign off, we'd like to leave you with some food for thought and we'll see you next time when we discuss some of our favorite love stories. Remember, you can connect with us on Twitter at Bookstack Trio and follow us at Bookstack Trio on Instagram and Facebook to see a full listing of the books mentioned in our stack. If you read a book from this stack or watch interviews and would like to discuss them, let us know what you thought on social media. You can also find us at our website at bookstacktrio.com. When one believes in oneself, even the extraordinary is possible. Charlie N. Holmes.